You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. And so, nevertheless, Christians, if they find themselves in that position, for whatever reason, difficulties, trials, problems in your life experience, whatever, if you find yourself gravitating back towards the world, you're in the world now, right? You've abandoned your relationship with God. We are to get out as fast as our feet can carry us. And this is the lesson that's served up by Abraham before us here. Sometimes it can become tempting to run back to your old ways and to become conformed again to the pattern of the world. Abraham is considered the father of our faith, yet he made the serious mistake of going back into Egypt and relying on the world rather than trusting and having faith in God. Today, Pastor Mike will be reminding you that no matter how hard life gets, it's always better going through life with the blessing and peace of God. Don't allow the circumstances of this life to derail you from following the Lord. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 12 as he begins his message, Down to Egypt. in Genesis chapter 12, the text that we're going to be treating found in verses 10 through 20. The people of God are commanded throughout the scriptures to stay away from Egypt, to stay out of it. For example, in the 31st chapter in the book of Isaiah, in verse 1, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. And the, the idea here is that who are we supposed to rely on? Who are we supposed to turn to? in times of trouble, uh, in our difficulties, in our life's experience? Are we to turn to the world? Remember, Egypt represents the world, so keep that in mind. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. All of what the world has to offer, all of the resources that the world has to offer, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Now, so the equivalent of all of this is simply to rely upon Egypt. And isn't that exactly what Abraham was doing? Isn't that exactly what Abraham is guilty of? So the equivalent to rely upon Egypt is simply trusting in human resources rather than trusting in God. So believers, that would be you and me, figuratively speaking, find themselves in Egypt, back in the world, 
because of a lack of faith in God's strength or power or his promises, whatever. Let's say, for example, some trial comes, some difficulty comes, and you're waiting on God to move and deliver and respond and provide, but it doesn't happen right away. And you're thinking, oh, man, you know, uh, I guess I had that whole idea wrong about God is interested in me and that God's going to provide for all of my needs. And so how do I respond? Well, I return back into the world. I look to the world for my help. And so, nevertheless, Christians, if they find themselves in that position, for whatever reason, difficulties, trials, problems in your life experience, whatever, if you find yourself gravitating back towards the world, you're in the world now, right? You've abandoned your relationship with God. We are to get out as fast as our feet can carry us. And this is the lesson that's served up by Abraham before us here. We're going to consider the decision that he made and the consequences and the fruit of making that wrong choice and decision that is in abandoning God. Now, Abraham was doing pretty good up until this point, right? You've uh, traced his steps over the last couple of weeks. This is, let's see, the third uh, study in our series in the book of Genesis having to do with this man Abraham, right? Up until this point now, Abraham was doing pretty good. He left the land of Ur, as he was commanded by God to do, and Haran, and he arrived in Canaan. But now the test comes. And isn't that interesting? You know, God calls us. You know, I see something very similar about God commissioning Abraham, his calling upon Abraham, and exactly what God is looking to do in each and every one of our lives as well. You know, there's the calling, and then we move, and we, we, we uh, respond, and, and, uh, but then the testings come. You know, after a period of time, the honeymoon is over sort of a thing, and, and now we're faced with the decision of being a true disciple of the Lord. And listen, just because we've taken the name of Christ, and we've been converted, and we're born again of the Spirit of God, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have problems in our lives experience. But we have hope because God can use those problems and shape us and mold us and equip us and, and transform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, right? And that's often what he, in fact, does. So he was doing quite well up until this point. But now the test comes in the form of there's a famine in the land. There's a famine in Canaan. And thus Abraham, at this point, turns from following God, turns from trusting God, and he went down to Egypt. Now, I think it's pretty significant the way that this is uh, recommended to us here, that Abraham went down to Egypt. Listen, it's always a downward progression, folks, when we forget and abandon God. He went down to Egypt, and that's always the case. You're going to find your life in a downward spiral when you forsake and abandon God. Okay, now, here's the question. What would you have done in Abraham's shoes at this point? That's the question, okay? And it's going to bring us to our first point. But let me tell you this. It's not my intention to throw stones at Abraham this morning or throw Father Abraham under the bus, okay? That's not my intention at all. Uh... 
This is very human-like, the choice and the decision that he made. And I bet you that every one of us at one time was guilty of making the same kind of a choice and decision as did Abraham. So anyway, with that said, that brings us now to our first point. And if you're taking notes, write this down. The trials leading to his failure. And the trials that I'm going to mention here are very much the same kinds of trials that all of us experience as well, that lend itself you know, to our abandoning God and taking things back into our own hands and often going back to the world, looking at the world's resources for the answers to our problems. Okay, so once again, here's the question. What would you have done in Abraham's shoes? So let's consider the trials that led up to Abraham's failure. Abraham's wife is still barren. Abraham's wife, Sarah, is still barren. Now remember, when God first commissioned Abraham, he told them that he was going to, of his seed, make uh, a great nation. There would be as many as the stars in the sky, right? And he also promised them that through his seed, all of the nations would be blessed, which is a prophetical announcement concerning Christ. Because it was through his seed, the Semitic people, right, that the Savior, Christ, our Lord and Savior, was to be born. And so he made him this, all of these promises. But, but here's the issue. It became increasingly problematic as the years went on in his pilgrimage. Sarah is still without child. So where's the promise? You know, is God making do on the promise? So have you ever been in a situation before? Maybe you were in a service like this and, and uh, we've shared certain scriptures with you and many of the scriptures deal with the subject of promise for the believer, a child of God, and you're all excited about that, right? Oh man, yes, all right, praise the Lord. I'm, and I'm, I'm clinging to and, and holding on to and standing on that promise. And you know, when God sees fit uh, to bring that promise to fulfillment in my own personal experience, what a day of rejoicing that's going to be. But now time has elapsed, and it hasn't come to fruition. And we're starting to wonder, you know, does, does God make good on his promises, right? And so this was problematic for Abraham, right? So this was the first trial that he encountered. Now I want you to think about it. I'm going to go through seven specific trials. And if we went through all of these seven at the same time as did Abraham, I wonder how many of us would have stayed the course and stayed on the straight and narrow and wouldn't have turned our back upon God and looked to other resources for our help. So that's where I'm going with all of this. The second trial, his destination is unknown. Could you imagine that? You know, God instructed Abraham when we're first introduced to him in chapter 12 and verse 1, right? Two messages ago, two Sundays ago, you know, to get him up from the land of Ur to a place that he will show him. But he never mentioned exactly where that place was going to be. And, and you got to commend Abraham. I mean, he just gets up, leaves family, home, relatives, and we're going to get to that because that's another trial in and of itself, right? But he's still moving, and, you know, and, but God isn't giving him the exact details of the destination uh, that he was going to bring him to. His destination still remains unknown. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know that, in fact, the land of Canaan was the land of promise. 
In the book of Hebrews, there's a cross-reference for you, chapter 11 and verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And so now again, time. Here's the time element again. You know how impatient we can get with God, right? Okay, where's this place? I'm sojourning now. I've been walking around. I got my whole entourage with me. But where's the place? It was still unknown to Abraham. That would have been a trial. Wouldn't you agree? How about this? A third trial. He was leaving his people, his family, his friends, and human love. You know, think about that. To get yourself up out of a place that you've become extremely accustomed to, where you have all of the resources available to you, uh, where you can count on people, they got your back. You've forged these relationships with people and members of your immediate family, people who you know really love you, right? And it will always be there for you. And it just, God just plucks them up out of that situation and heads them off towards the land of Canaan. So that must have been a trial. You know, how many of us have been planted, uh, replanted, or how many of you have been plucked out of your place of birth or origins, you know, to go to school or for work or for whatever? Maybe you have an internship here in New York and, and, uh, or whatever. Uh, you're attending one of the universities here. And, but you miss your family. You know what that's like. It's a trial. It can definitely be a trial. How about a fourth trial? His father, Terah, had just died. According to chapter 11 and verse 32, if you back up to the previous chapter in the last verse, chapter 11 and verse 32, his father, Terah, died. You know, if some of us, you know what a grievous experience that can be like, right? The person who loves you the most, your mom, your dad, a brother or sister, someone who's very close to you, passes away. You're thinking, how am I going to replace that person? It is an extremely difficult and grievous trial. How about this? Here's another one. The fifth trial. He found no home when he arrived in Canaan. He was still a wanderer, even when he actually entered into the land that God had promised him. You know, from Shechem, if you, if you just trace the route through which Abraham traveled to get to Canaan, he went from Shechem, Shechem to Bethel to the Negev and on and never owned any of those lands. Never owned any of it. That must have been quite a trial as well for Abraham. And how about this? And this would be number six uh, in that list. The Canaanites, when Abraham got there, were still in Canaan. Now, who were the Canaanites? They were idolaters. Remember, initially, when God spoke to Abraham and instructed him to get out of the land of Ur, one of the reasons why was because they were an idolatrous people. His mother and father were idol worshipers. It's quite possible, and we talked about this in one of our previous messages, that Abraham himself, before him being called by God, was an idol worshiper himself. So the Canaanites were idolaters, and they were no different from the folks there in the land of Ur. In fact, they were even more cruel and perverted. So I'm sure that Abraham must have, be, must have been thinking when he finally arrived at, Canaan, at, at the land of Canaan, is this any better than where I came from? In fact, it's even worse. And then finally, this is the list that I came up with, then finally, when he arrives at the place that God had promised him, there's a famine in 
the land. And his daily bread seems to be failing him. He's being starved out of the land. All of which led to Abraham saying, I'm going down to Egypt. And basically is what he's saying as I'm going to see what the world has to offer. That's the equivalent of all of this. Because things aren't working out for me following God. I must have misunderstood God. Now, let me ask you the question. Can any of us identify with this? Anybody? Have you ever been there? Or am I the only reprobate in this room this morning? Do you think Abraham was being unreasonable in his line of reasoning here? I don't think so. Come on. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, this is the way some of us reason out our circumstances. I mean, obeying God is all right as long as things are working out for us the way that we hoped they would work out. But once trouble comes, in whatever form, famine, peril, persecution, guess what? Our piety and our faith goes right out the window, and then we look to other resources for help. We turn to the world for our provision. Would you agree? Can we be honest here this morning? And listen... This is the truth of the matter. When we turn to the world, the world is more more than happy to take us in. Oh, yes, the world will provide for you. It provides for its own, for those who are willing to go its way. But here's the problem. It'll cost you too much in the end, as we are about to discover in Abraham's case. Okay, so with all of that said, what should Abraham What should he have done? Well, first of all, he should have known that God wouldn't have let him and his family starve. I mean, think about, you know, going back to that example and illustration that I gave just a moment ago about God's people in the wilderness after they were delivered out of Egypt and they were wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. You know, they had their own trials before them. Uh, there were times when there wasn't any food to eat and there wasn't any water to drink and, and there were enemies to defeat and, and to go up against and stuff, but God always provided, right? In so many wonderful and miraculous kinds of uh, ways. Whatever he had, he should have ate. And God would have provided for Abraham the same way that he provided for his people Israel. He would have brought manna down from heaven, quails in the wind, right? Water to drink from a rock, whatever. You see, Abraham should have known that, but he didn't, unfortunately. You see, and why didn't he know it? Because simply his faith was weak. Now listen, and again, we're not trying to throw rocks or stones at Abraham. The work that God wanted to do in Abraham's life, as I had already mentioned in one of our previous studies, is the same kind of a work that God wants to do in your life and in my life. It's a progressive work. We don't become these super Christians like overnight, right? You don't go through a conversion experience, say the sinner's prayer, and then all of a sudden God gives you some super Christian uniform with a cape to put on, you know, with an S on your chest. It doesn't work like that. Don't you wish it worked like that? Really, right? No more temptation, no more hassles, just going forward, always trusting the Lord, never sinning again, never gravitating towards temptation. Yeah, right. Listen, that ain't going to happen until we see the Lord. Because the Bible tells us when we see him, we shall be like he is. And not a moment before, 
right? So it's not like that at all. And so his faith was weak. It had not sufficiently grown. Hey, listen, we're still going through that process. Whether you're a new Christian, a babe in Christ, or the senior pastor of the church. It's a progressive work. God isn't finished with any of us. So Abraham's faith was weak and had not sufficiently grown. So instead of trusting God, he trusted in himself and the world, and he strayed from the place of blessing, which was the contributing factor to all of Abraham's problems. Now, on the surface, Abraham's decision seems to make sense. I mean, there's no food here in the land. What are we going to eat? Rocks, right? And I'm sure Abraham must have thought to himself, well, the Canaanites, they're not going to assist him. They're not going to feed me. But you see, his view was skewed from seeing God behind the circumstances, from seeing the bigger picture. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the time when after Jesus fed the 5,000, and then he dismissed the crowd, and then he instructed his disciples to get into the boat to go over to the, uh, to the other side of the lake, right? And then he went up into the mountain to pray unto the Father. And as they're out in the middle of the lake, the storm comes up, and they're, they're in great peril. They're in danger of the boat sinking. And then all of a sudden, the Lord comes strolling along, walking on the water, right? That's the God we know, right? That's the Jesus we know, the Savior we know. He's walking on water, right? And uh, Peter cries out to him, well, it's recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 14, in verses 22 through 33. Should we read the whole thing? Okay, let's read it. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. This is immediately following the feeding of the 5,000. And go before him to the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch, so early, on, early in the morning, of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And don't you, lo- don't you know Peter, right? He chimes in, takes the initiative upon himself. But Peter, I love Peter, man. You know, of all of the characters in the Bible, I can really relate to Peter. Old, impetuous Peter, up and down, sideways Peter, you know? And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you on the water. All right, okay, Peter. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. 
Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.